Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. God, we are thankful for your son and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, Lord, to take away the sins of the world. But not just the stuff from the past that we sometimes carry around and feel regret for, but Lord, that the saving power was enough to cover my lifelong venture in trying to follow you and failing miserably. Lord, to cover our sins for the future as well. Lord, we thank you so much for that, and we ask that you will give us a heart that will consider that and strive for the best in serving you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you are new, if you haven't... Am I hearing that? Are you hearing that too? Okay. Afraid maybe it was the meds. I didn't know. If you are new, if you have only been here a few times, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Three Things, and it is geared towards men. Uh, Ladies, you're more than welcome to listen along if you want, but it is geared for men, and the ultimate goal is so that we can hear the Word of God as men, let it change us as men, so that we can lead like we were designed to lead, so we can be the husbands we're supposed to be, the dads we're supposed to be community leaders were supposed to be, and the men were supposed to be. That's what this is designed to do. So if you are new, if you are just now joining us or just uh, maybe maybe just here a week or so, uh, you've, you've missed the first few, but you can find those online. If you go to, to uh, Facebook, to Fellowship Regional Church, you can find them. They're posted there. If you are um, somebody with a, uh, with a halo and a holy soul, you probably also use an iPhone, and you could... Also find them on your podcast app for you uncircumcised Philistines who use Android or whatever whatever you call those. Um, you probably just better go to Facebook, all right? It's more user-friendly for people like you, all right? So just go there, push the button or the knuckle with your knuckle or whatever it is you do. Uh, don't send me an email. I don't want one. Uh, and you can catch up with where we are right now because we are picking up right in the a whole, a whole tale of stories, just a whole series of stories. So you may need some background information for some of this to make sense. So you can go back and you can hear those, you can hear those there. Um, as the dust from the battlefield had settled, David is standing by himself in the middle of this valley, the Valley of Elah, and he comes trekking back up from down below. Now, here's, here's just a touch of background. This is David from David and Goliath, okay? He just killed the giant, lops his head off. He has it under his arm, and he's bringing his sling and his sword with him because King Saul wants to know, who is this boy? And he comes up and he says to him, my name is David. I'm the son of Jesse, your servant from Bethlehem. And then we read this last week, we talked about this last week, that that Jonathan saw David witnessed this situation, heard about this situation, and it stuck with him. And remember, we went back and we looked at the history of Jonathan, and what we found out was that he was a maniacal warrior who trusted God. And when he saw that David was this man of God, full of courage, 
It said that his, his soul was knitted together with David's. They became homeboys. Okay? We're going to pick up our story from right there. And we're going to go on down through. And we're going to take a look at the kind of friendships, the kind of connections, the emotions, the reactions, the responses that we have with one another, with friends, with enemies. And we're going to look at these two guys and we're going to look at their lives. These three guys. We're going to look at their lives and their, their responses, their reactions to each other. First, let me point this out and then we'll jump right into it. Both Jonathan and Saul are thrilled that David killed the giant. Thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. But for different reasons. Saul is thrilled that David killed Goliath because now Saul doesn't have to go fight Goliath. Jonathan, on the other hand, was absolutely amazed at who he was and thrilled that there was somebody else like me in the room. Have you ever gone to a place where you're like, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, and then you look up and you're like, what are they doing here? I guess I'm okay. If they're here, I'm okay. Like, we can be here together. Like, this is all right. I belong here. Jonathan sees David and he's like, finally, somebody who will push me, somebody who will challenge me. But Saul's reaction to that is different than Jonathan's. King Saul's reaction is to take David. You remember the verse and it says, he gave David a high-ranking spot in the military of greater service, embedded him deeper into the Israel war machine. Jonathan, on the other hand, did something different. Jonathan submitted himself to David, made himself a servant to David, committed himself deeper to the friendship of David. And that was Jonathan's response. See, we all have those same kind of reactions and responses and relationships. Most of you, you get up, you go to work in the morning, you punch the clock, you fulfill your time, you do your job, you pull the lever, you make the part, you sell the thing, whatever it is you do. You go to your work and you do that. And if you do a good job and you have good work ethic and, and high performance and high productivity and you do a good job, Somebody will come along at the end of the week, let you stay all 40 hours, and at the end, they will give you money for what you've done. It is a contractual relationship, much like Saul and David, where Saul is like, thanks for killing the bad guy. Do you want to kill more bad guys? I'll let you kill more bad guys. I'll take care of you. Go kill more bad guys. Where Jonathan is different. Jonathan saw this happen and decided there's nothing I really want to gain from this other than the friendship, but I want that friendship based on me serving him. And if you don't have those kind of relationships, you have to work to get those kind of relationships. See, a lot of times in our world, what we do is we say, well, I sent him a friend invite. Right? I don't know. Mm. Let me tell you something that makes me mad. Sorry to rabbit trail. Let me tell you something that hacks me Ooh, chaps my tail. Here it is. People there just aren't very friendly. Oh, so you're just a taker. That's what I want to say. You know, I came to church there, but the people just weren't real friendly. Nobody really came up and said hi to me. Did you say hi to anybody? No, I was waiting on somebody to say hi to me. I'm going to get him. How do you complain about a thing? Nobody was nice to me. Were you nice to anybody? No. I want everybody to be nice to me. Oh, I remember you. I remember you from kindergarten. 
Because that's the way we act when we're in kindergarten. Oh, that's not fair. No one's being nice. That's terrible. Sorry, I'm back. And so these contractual relationships to where we want something from somebody else, but we don't want to offer anything in return. Well, no one called to check on me. Did you tell anybody you were beat up? Did you tell anybody you were hurt? Did you tell anybody you were sick? Did you tell anybody you had a baby? Did you tell anybody you got married? Well, no. I mean, don't you look at Facebook? Are you serious? I gotta find that for all. I gotta find that out myself. And you've got those people. You go somewhere, you do something, they find out about it, they get bent out of shape. Contractual relationships. Jonathan approached his relationship with David by saying this: "I'm making a covenant to you. I don't care what you do. I'm gonna love you." I don't care what you do. I'm going to knit my soul to yours. I don't care what you do. You were somebody that I absolutely need in my life because I will become a better person when you were there. And that's a beautiful response. Let's jump into our story. First Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, talking about David, whatever King Saul sent David to do, he did it so successfully that he gave him a high-ranking position in the military. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet the king with singing and dancing with joyful songs and tambourines and flutes. And as they danced, they sang. This was customary. It's a customary thing. When the men come home from war, everybody, all the, all the, all the uh, wives, the moms, the children, they run out into the streets. And they sing and they praise the men for going off to war and doing the thing that they needed to do to keep the place safe. And they're singing and they're singing. And we talked a little bit about this. The King Saul's kind of like, like a nacho, like one nacho short of a combination plate. You know, he's just kind of that not really kind of always mad, always scheming, always hateful, always thinking somebody's out to get him. But there's a new song playing on the radio on every single station that he goes to. Now, it wouldn't have been Rick Dees. It probably been Casey Kasem because this is a long time ago. But every single, every single day they're playing this song. It goes like this. I don't know the tune. Saul has killed his thousands. And David, tens of thousands. Time out. You remember where they just came from, right? The Valley of Elah. It only records David killing one guy in the Valley of Elah. One. Not tens of thousands. Uno. One. This hacked Saul off. Every radio station. Click. This was the old push button ones where you get the presets. Click. There it is. Click. Same one. Click. Same one. Over and over and over. And the verse says that this gulled him. The word means crush to pieces. Like to be hit with a hammer. Gold him. To hear this song over and over. And in fact, what he said was, they have accredited David with tens of thousands of kills and me with only thousands? It's pretty worked up. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. What more? Can this boy get from me but the kingdom? Mm. Oh, King Saul, if only you knew what this boy was going to take from you. Your family, your son, your daughter, 
a kingdom, and the loyalty of all of Israel and Judah. What more can he take? It has only begun, Saul. It has only begun. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. Look at verse 9. And from that time, he kept a jealous eye on David. When somebody shows up in your life and they rescue you from something, do you have that skeptical, what are you in it for? What do you want? What are you after? He's just eyeballing him. What do you, what do, you do? What do you want? What are you trying to do here? Saul's losing it slowly. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand. We would be wrong to think ever in our theology that God would never ever allow us to be subjected to evil. We would be wrong in our theology to say, oh, God would never allow that to happen. Because you've got to understand, our spiritual walk with the Lord means we must walk within the presence of God. Saul at one point was. But then slowly began to just reject God and the whole idea of, of, of God pulling the kingdom out of his hands, of appointing someone new. Saul did not want his, his hands to have to come unclasped from the kingdom and everything that he had right then. It was his identity. This is who I am. He couldn't let go of it. And David becomes the letter to Saul of everything you should have been, Saul. What you should have been is this right here. And you can see the hand of God against Saul. You notice an evil spirit came forcefully upon Saul. There's a spiritual principle in here, and it's this. Evil, anger, strife, jealousy, discontentment, all of those things only breed more anger, more evil, more lashing out, more discontentment. It never just diminishes in our heart and our soul. This is why Jesus compared murder to hate. Because they are not two separate things. You see, hate is only but an embryo of the future of murder. And Saul is at that place to where he is hating. And it says that he took up this spear and threw it. Did you notice it says that he is prophesying? We can't mistake that word. There's several different terms for prophesying. Prophesying as a prophet would do, speaking inspired, uh, inspiringly from the Spirit of God is different than what, what Saul is doing. What Saul is doing here, these are the rantings and the ravings of a maniacal lunatic is what this is. It is this manic breakdown, the pacing back and forth, that grinding of the teeth, that wringing of the hands, that losing his mind, the paranoia, all the scheming of all the things that he thinks everybody is out to get him. And his spirit is just mashing him into dust. And it says that he had a spear in his hand. Don't you love David? Don't you just love him? Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. He's got the spear. Saul's got the spear. David just keeps playing the harp, kind of keeping a close eye on him like, I don't know. This isn't looking good. I don't know. Saul's got the spear in his hand. People have to get me. God's against me. Samuel the prophet's against me. My son's against me. 
you're against me? And he flings the spear. Read this. You just got to love this guy. <laughs> Verse 11, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him. What's the next word? Twice? Twice? Listen, let's be honest. If I ever come in here and I'm playing a song for you on Sunday morning, and any of you throw a spear at me, you will not throw two spears at me. <laughs> I'll hit a side door and I promise you can't catch me. I promise you can't catch me. There's no way. I will hit a side door. There's no way you're going to get your spear on me. No. Twice? Did you go across the room like, whoa. <laughs> oh, you're me? You're coming at me? Twice. Verse 12, the irony of verse 12. Saul was afraid of David. <laughs> he didn't try to kill him. <laughs> Saul tries to kill David. And now he's afraid of David. Why? The Bible tells us. Because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away as well. Gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And in everything he did, he did with great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how powerful, how successful he was, he was, again, afraid of him. Listen to the, all the emotions in this, in this verse from 16, I mean from verse 12 to 16. Saul was afraid. He sent him away, gave him... Uh, uh, command over a thousand men. He led the troops and everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him and when Saul saw how successful, he was afraid again. How can you be the king? And if you remember, when we looked at this at the beginning, Saul is a head taller than everybody in Israel. And he's the king. And he's afraid of a shepherd with a ukulele. Why? God was with the shepherd. That's why. Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve the Lord and fight the battle of the Lord. Serve me and fight the battle of the Lord bravely. But David said this. Listen to his humble heart. I'm kind of like a low man on a totem pole. I come from a pretty small tribe and it's not really that important. I'm not really an important guy. And I don't have any dowry. So I have to, I have to say no. Saul thought to himself, I will not raise a hand against David. But I will snare him and I will put him into the hands of the Philistines. I will not raise my hand against him. Let the Philistines do that, he says. But David said to Saul, who am I? What is my family or my father's clan in Israel? that I should be the king's son-in-law. So when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mahola. Verse 20. <coughs> now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. You know how you can identify a very calloused and desensitized heart? When you find somebody who will take people and things and situations and will move them like pawns for their own comfort, 
for their own success. They'll do anything to get ahead. They don't care even what they do to even the people that they love the most or say they love the most. You can see a calloused and desensitized heart. The book of Romans talks about this very thing. The thing that if you avoid your conscience for long enough, something happens. Something happens to the inside of you. You continue to not care about what God wants. You continue to avoid that voice, to ignore that voice that's telling you, I want you to do this with your life. And you continue to push that away. There is a result in doing that. You do not kick to keep your sensitivity. What happens is your soul, your conscience, becomes seared as with a hot iron, unable to feel anymore. It's the craziest thing when you learn how to play the guitar, if you play the guitar, you build up these calluses on the, on the tips of your fingers to where you can't feel anything on the tips of your fingers. And I'm okay with that on the very tips of my fingers. I'm not okay with that in my heart. I'm not okay with that in my heart. I want to know. I want to be able to touch. I want to be able to feel the difference in things. And with my heart, I want the same thing. Romans 1, 28, I believe. <clears throat> Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile... To retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. You see, the thing that happens is this deal to where we ignore God and 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 we continue to ignore God to where finally it just seems as if it's gone silent. Have you ever gone to a concert and then came home and you still can't stop hearing the music? Boop, all the time. It's just in your head, just this constant ringing because now your ears have been completely overwhelmed by this noise. They're now desensitized. The same thing happens with the heart. When we get in a place to where we avoid God, that's exactly what's happened to Saul. Now he's in the place to where now he's peddling his daughters off in an attempt to capture the man who is serving him most loyally. This is, the, this is the part of the story where I want to like slide in back in time and grab Saul by the robe and say, look, you giant idiot. You don't have to love God, but don't you want to not be at war with him? Don't you want to just not have his hand against you all the time? Look how his hand was for David. Every single thing that David does, he goes out and he succeeds. He comes back more victorious than ever before. People are singing his praises. He is given a promotion. The king hates him and he keeps getting promotions and climbing up the ladder. Saul, seasoned war veteran, can't hit a heart player from across the room twice. God is against him. Do you see this? He cannot win for losing. And David is that message to Saul. I have left you behind. I have left you behind. Your heart is calloused. You have nothing to do with me. I've left you behind. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against them. That's kind of a bad wedding thing to do for dads. You know what I mean? You know, like, I would like to give my daughter to that guy because I hate him. 
I hope something bad happens to him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Oh, you missed your first opportunity. Don't you want to be my son-in-law so bad? If I'm, if I'm David, I'm like, uh, I think I'll miss this opportunity as well. That would be great. Thanksgiving would be terrible, you know? Uh, let me go ahead and just give you a warning. What's coming up next may set you back just a little bit. Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king is pleased with you and his attendants all like you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I am only, and you've got to remember this phrase, I am only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servants told him that David had said that, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hand of the Philistine. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought back the foreskins and presented them in full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul, left with no other option, gave Michael, his daughter, to David in marriage. Verse 28. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Verse 30 closes out the story. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, and as often as they did, David met them with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well-known. There are three things that galvanize men. That galvanize men. Now, if you have noticed, we have stopped saying, that, we have stopped saying the phrase, this is what it's like to be a godly man. God's intention was not to have to say, you're a godly man and this other kind of man. A man is a godly man. So when I say be a man, what I mean is be a man as God intended, which is a godly man. There's three things that galvanize a man. That galvanize a man that I want to talk about here. Let me point to them. First one is this. A godly man is committed to the process. Committed to God's process. At any point, David could have said, you know, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I think I'm out. Saul already did that. And David could have done that at any point. David was not obligated to be there. He could have ran and got out of there and stopped serving Saul at any point. He probably could have killed Saul at any point that he wanted to. But he was committed to God's process. You see, men, here's what we do. We sometimes look for the very easy way. Path of least resistance. So if something comes up and gets in our way, there's a struggle, there's a fight, there's an argument, there's a complication to the job, this is what we do. Oh, this must be God punishing me. Or God loving you. Because when God loves you, do you know what He does? He disciplines. 
He puts the pressure on a little bit. He strengthens you. This is why we go through things in life, so that you become stronger. We must be committed to the process. David was committed. Saul tried to kill him twice with a spear. David said, I'm committed to this deal. This is God's process. Where do you think he learned that? Being the youngest son, watching his father's sheep, being forgotten about at the important meals, just serving, doing the thing that he was supposed to do. That's what he was called to do, and that's what he was committed to. If you want to be galvanized, just cemented as a man, then first and foremost, you have to be committed to God's process. He has got you on a journey. Yeah, but bad things just keep happening. Okay, that's got to be a part of your process. You either stop banging your head on the wall and do what you're supposed to, or you look up and you say, thank you. This is good for me on some level. See, men, for us, this is what it comes down to. When we encounter an argument with our wife, a coworker, a difficult boss, a parenting problem, a situation that has just got you by the heart, our question isn't, what in the world is wrong with her? You may wonder it, but what is wrong with her? Our question is different. What is God teaching me? I'm in this thing. What is he teaching me? What am I not seeing? Open my eyes to let me see the thing that you're trying to show me. When our children, we can't get them to do the thing that we want them to do. It just seems like they're just stuck. We have to start asking the question, okay, what do I need to learn from this deal? We must be committed to the process. If we're looking to bail out and run and find a brand new hobby when things get hard in life, <clears throat> you're not a man. You're a wuss. With me? That's weak sauce. Stop inventing reasons to avoid the difficult things in your life. We have a responsibility to dive in and let God make us men. This is what he's doing for us and with us. We must be committed to the process. It is hard. It is tough. There's times where it just sucks the life out of you. He is there and calling us to that. We must be committed to that as well. Our culture and everybody and everything and our DNA and our nature and Satan are all calling us to be lazy and move to the back of the line. To walk about five feet behind our wife, let her tell us what's about to happen next, and then like when something needs painted, we go find paint. Like this is what the world is trying to convince us of. And it's wrong. It's 100% wrong. God is calling us to be men. Men. Second thing is this. <clears throat> we must be compelled by God's presence. From the very first moment that we meet David, when he talks to Saul, there's this conversation that happens. He says, you can't go fight that, that giant out down in the valley of Elah. And David looks, at, David looks at King Saul, and what he says to him is this. The same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I'm not scared of him. He's a chump. I will, I'll handle it. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. David's response is this. He is compelled by the power of God. He is compelled by the very presence of God. There's nothing in his life to where he's saying, look at me, I'm so big and strong. What he's saying is just the opposite. I'm in the presence of God, so I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I'm in the presence of God. Verse 12 
verse 12 of chapter 18. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Verse 14. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Verse 28. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and uh, that his daughter, Michael, loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. As a man, part of the deal we have to understand, and this is hard for us, there are very few things in our life to where we ever feel like, man, because I know some of you, you are really bad at this deal. I'll see you, you'll see me. Say, so what'd you do this weekend? Ah, I had to put some shingles on the roof that blew off in the last door. Why didn't you call me? Ah, it was no big deal. You should have seen me trying to do it by myself. It was a big deal. I should have called you. I could have died, you know? Plus, I'm bad at it, and plus, I don't have the right tools. I'm quite sure. I should have called someone. Because we don't like to. We like to rely on our own power. It gives us a bragging story later on. Ah, I fixed my wife's car this week. Eh, no big deal. I had no idea what I was doing. Took the battery out, put the battery back in. Eh, it's better now. I don't know. I fixed it. Can I say I fixed it? I'm saying I fixed it. It's the way it works. It's exactly how it works. We don't want anybody to come over and try to help us. And fortunately, that always drips over into our relationship with God to where we think to ourselves, eh, I'm not going to bother God with this one. I'm not going to bother God with this one. I handle it myself. Oh, yeah? You handle it, you handle it yourself, are you? How's it working out for you? And don't lie. Not so good. You see, our deal must be that we always reside in the presence of God. See, there's another aspect to this as well. There's a certain amount of protection and success that comes along with walking with the, with, with the Spirit of the Lord. When we get in that place to where we are absolutely compelled by the Spirit of God or by God's presence, there is a, certain, there is a different kind of success that happens in our life. Does that mean there's no hard times? No, it doesn't mean that. Of course there's going to be hard times. But let me ask you this. What if your dependency on God trickled over into your family and the protection that you have on your family? Stick with me. What if your desire to be compelled by the presence of God, to live in the presence of God by living a moral life, reading your Bible, studying scripture, going to church, offering a submitted life to Jesus Christ, what if those things right there protected your family on a spiritual level? <clears throat> what if it protected your family on a spiritual level? Let me give you an example. What about bad dreams? When your babies have bad dreams, what if that has something to do with you not relying on God? Does it matter now? When your baby's got night terrors, does it matter now? I'm not saying that's always the cause. I'm saying, what if? What if your spiritual umbrella, the protection, the you and God living together, walking side by side, protects your family. Is it worth it? Let me, tell you what, let me tell you something that I've observed in my own life. I don't know that I could pull scripture out and prove this, so take it for what it's worth. Throw it out if you don't like it. Put it in your pocket if you do. When my ultimate goal is to be moved by the Spirit of God and compelled by God's presence, do you know that I get along with my wife better? Or rather, she gets along with me better. It's true. Do you know that when I am compelled by the presence of God, 
When I try my best to stay inside that place of, I want to honor him with my life. I want to do the right thing. I want to work hard. I want to be a leader. I want to be the man God wants me to be. Do you know my children talk to each other different? Do you know that when I find myself in that place to where I'm working really hard to keep myself in that place, there seems to be a weird gravitational pull that people tend to just kind of come near. Why is that? Because that's the presence of God. Is it because Jared's so special? <laughs> come on. No. Because that's what the presence of God does. And David is compelled by the presence of God. Did you notice everywhere he goes, everything he does, he succeeds? And the reason why is God is with him. And I promise you this, as we go through the life of David, here's what you're going to see. In the moments that David does not choose that, his life falls apart. In the moments that he does choose that, his life goes back together. And when he strays, it seems as if everything falls apart. And when he comes back, everything goes back together again. And you can see this pattern all the way through David's life. You can see it through your life. You can see it through my life. There's another thing that galvanizes a man, and that's this. And we have to kind of talk on a, on a level. Like, chicks, you're not supposed to hear this part, all right? Because we kind of do, we just kind of have to talk about this for a minute quietly. Don't bring it up at lunch, all right? This is off limits. You can't talk about it at lunch. As dudes, we oftentimes need to be encouraged. We need to be told that we are important, that we are good, that we are strong. We need to hear that. <coughs> the problem is, is that for a lot of dudes, we make that the focus. Instead of being committed to God's process or compelled by God's presence, what we do is we go looking to be commended by people. And that becomes the focus in our life. We want to be commended by people. And let me tell you what the trap is. Here's the trap. If your ultimate goal is to be recognized, thought of highly, impressive to someone else, there will never be enough compliments in the world to make you feel good about you. Ever. You know what else is crazy? Is the second you focus on the first two things, being committed to God's process and being compelled by God's presence, do you know what will inevitably happen? Two things. You will, number one, be commended by God's people. And number two, you will care less than you ever cared about that. Because it fades because you don't care anymore. You don't need somebody to stroke you and tell you you're good, that you're good, that you're strong that you're doing a great job. You get to a place to where, you know what? I'm happy to be faithful and I'm impressed that God took an idiot like me and somehow made something out of me. You can think whatever you want to think. I'm still amazed over here because God's doing something powerful. Third thing that galvanizes a man is being commended for the things that he does. But see, there's a trap there. If we go searching for that, we will fall into this downward spiral to where we're looking for somebody to always build us up. There's not enough of that in the world. Not nearly enough of that in the world. Not to fill up that size of hole inside of your chest. It requires us getting to God, honoring Him first, and then He comes back and He supplies our every need. Our success in this life and our needs to be encouraged will be met by God when we have remained committed to his process, compelled by his presence, because it is then that he will galvanize who we are as a man. It's then that he will do that.
This is the life of David. And as we go on through here, there's some stuff in here that really gets me wound up. So if I got a little loud and I hurt your feelings or I woke your baby up, uh, we'll probably do it again next week. <laughs> probably we're gonna, this, is good, this is good stuff. 